This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. This past January, Second Story learned that a longtime collaborator, Deb Hogan, passed away at the end of December. A couple of weeks later, we were lucky enough to discover a recording of one of her stories in our Wayback Archives that we happened to be organizing, and we are thrilled to be able to share it with you in her memory. To say a bit more about Deb, here's Second Story's artistic director, Amanda Delheimer. One of the things that I love about Second Story is that we get to work with all kinds of amazing people, and Deb Hogan was certainly one of the shining stars. I think one of Deb's favorite stories to tell about Second Story was actually how she and I met. I came into her classroom in 2005 or so as a part of the Young Playwrights Festival. Uh, Pegasus players would send us out in teams of three to do this 45-minute song and dance about playwriting in order to encourage high school students to write plays and submit them to the festival. So as a part of the presentation, we would perform a short play that had won in a previous year and then would talk about playwriting techniques in light of the play that kids had just seen. So in this particular play, my role was a 16-year-old girl and I modeled the character on Claire from Six Feet Under, you know, kind of brooding and eye-rolly and frustrating. Anyways, apparently I was pretty convincing because six months later, I was paired up to work with Deb in her classroom for a 12-week residency for like five of her classes. And apparently when I walked in, she was like, oh God, oh no, not that horrible girl. (laughs) So I think she even tried to call Pegasus and get me moved out of her classroom. But anyways, luckily we quickly learned that we adored each other and when she finally told me about her initial reaction to me coming to her classroom and how it was based on the character that I had played, we laughed and laughed. Deb is one of the folks I talk about in terms of how accessible Second Story and our process can be, though she was an English teacher and an excellent English teacher. She didn't really think of herself as a writer or or maybe she lacked confidence as a writer. I bugged her for a long time before she finally submitted to Second Story. And then she was off like a rocket, participating in our storyteller cycle in 2008 and 2009, and writing five or six stories for Second Story over a couple of years, all of which were delightful and thoughtful. I was so sad when I learned that she died, and also so thrilled the next week when I found this recording of her story. It so perfectly encapsulates Deb and the warm and generous and funny writer, performer, and human that she was. Recorded live at Red Kiva in February 2009, Second Story is proud to present Saddle Shoes. Let me spin you a tale on this cold winter's eve. With regard to your family, Did you ever want to leave? Be sure what you wish for, cause it just might come true. It happened to me, it could happen to you. I always felt I didn't have a place in my family. My Italian father assumed his firstborn would be a son, but I popped out, all emotion and chubbiness a curse in a family that revered sports. All brains, no brawn. 
My mom always said that my dad looked like Elvis Presley when he was younger. I don't know about that. But if you picture like a Tony Soprano who's gone to Weight Watchers and has thick black hair, that's him. He had a quick temper and a faster hand and zero tolerance for emotional outbursts. Okay, I was 11, and it was over a supper of Mastacholi that I spoke up about those saddle shoes of mine, those heavy-duty black-and-white clodhoppers. You see, because that day in religion class, we'd read about a 10-year-old boy who'd been a martyr and then a saint, all because he found the courage to stand up for what he believed was right. Now, I, of course, made the connection to my saddle shoes. They were talking about getting my brother a brand new hockey stick when I said loudly, I need some new school shoes. Now, I know the polite thing would have been to wait for an opening, but there never would have been one. They looked at me, irritated that I dared interrupt that hockey stick conversation. And I added a little more softly, since we're going to the store and have the money to get new stuff. I now had my father's attention. This was always dangerous. So you don't have any school shoes? My father asked. I've worn them for two years. Really, he said. Those must be great shoes to have served you so well. He looked around the table for my brother and mother to agree with his point. They're ugly and they clop. Oops. Never good to use emotion with my dad. So you're dissatisfied with the shoes. Okay. I could go one-on-one -on -one with him in the vocabulary department. My mind raced for the right word. Upgrade. I need an upgrade on those shoes the way Steve needs an upgrade on his hockey stick. There. I had unemotionally used the word three times for emphasis. Score one for the chubby kid. Well, my father sat back in his chair, arms crossed. You see, the table was set up for just this kind of confrontation. My father and I sat across from each other. My mom sat to my father's right, my brother Steve to his left, Steve a year younger than me and revered for his sports ability. No brains, all brawn. <laughs> my baby brother Dan sat to my right. My dad considered me a worthy opponent when I didn't use emotion, but I knew I had to stay on my toes because I was going to get it if I wasn't careful. An upgrade? Yes, I kept my eyes focused on my baby brother as I fed him his mashed potatoes. Because you see to me, little girl, an upgrade implies proficiency. So then logically, you would have increased your proficiency in walking, thus requiring an upgrade in shoes, the way Steve has increased his proficiency in hockey, requiring an upgrade in the hockey stick. I just sat there. My father had used two words three times in his reply to me. My mother and brother just stared at us. I was screaming on the inside. Shoes are more important than hockey sticks. Stop playing favorites. Oh, how I wanted to scream it all, but knew it wouldn't have done any good. It was my move, but I wasn't fast enough because my father took it for me. But I'm wondering, 
why you never go to the ice rink. Like the great opponent he was, he put me on the defensive. That question encompassed what he truly felt, what he always felt when he looked at me, especially buried in a book. So I used a tactic I had recently developed, an attempt at outright rebellion with self-preservation built in. I muttered as quickly as I could because I don't want to freeze my ass off, Dad. <laughs> Thrown off guard, he asked, what did you say? I then spoke slowly. Because I don't have a pair of ice skates, Dad. <laughs> now, everyone at that table knew what I'd first said. My father's eyes met mine, and he smiled that oh-so-fake smile. Well, that's a problem I can take care of. And your mother? She'll take care of the shoe problem. Capiche? And my mother just nodded dumbly. She thought that capiche was directed to her. <laughs> Thank you, Father, I said, not letting him see I felt completely defeated. So, Princess, is there anything else you'd like to bring to my attention? Not tonight, I said with my own faked smile. And the following Tuesday afternoon, while I was sitting in my bedroom window, still reading my book for the great books meeting the following evening, my mother came in with a bottle of white shoe polish. To make those saddle shoes a little less ugly, we wouldn't want you to think we play favorites. Yeah, right, Ma. Later that evening, my father threw a pair of black and white ice skates into my room and said, now you have ice skates. And I knew. That was in order to get to that ice rink the next afternoon. It was amazing how he and I communicated without having to say much. I just want to be left alone, I whispered, pressing tightly on the Cinderella watch my grandmother had given me, just in case my fairy godmother could grant my wish. It was a week before Christmas in a Logan Square Park. I sat alone on a snowbank for hours in the dark. I was just a preteen who'd been ordered to skate by my unfeeling father. What would be my fate? So it's the next afternoon, and I'm sitting on a snowbank looking at my powder blue Cinderella watch going into my second hour. I just want to be left alone, I'd said the night before. Me and my big mouth. My ankle is throbbing. The fairy godmother's wand on my watch indicates 6 o'clock. The light goes on in the Nelson kitchen because they live across the street from the park. And there's my classmate Richard waving out the window. I wave back, not wanting him to think no one's coming for me because, of course, my dad will come for me. They're just going to have dinner first. It's stuffed peppers night, and dad always says, ain't nothing worse than reheated peppers. My brother left the park almost an hour ago and surely would have gone straight home to tell my folks I'm injured. After all, the accident was his fault. That afternoon, like a dutiful daughter, I had trudged off to the ice rink and sat on the bench, huffing and puffing as I laced up those black and white skates. 
I wobbled my way to the entrance of the rink. How hard could this be, I thought. I'm an honor roll student. I stepped out and actually began to make a little headway when I heard a voice yell, Hey, Steve, isn't that your sister? And there they were, the pack of them, Steve and friends on skates, Steve leading the way, new hockey stick in hand. Look out, they yelled, and though I tried to scoot out of the way, the puck got tangled in my skates, and I fell. All of my chubby self landing on one of my ankles. Hey, you could have hurt the puck, yelled a smart ass. Be more careful, yelled another. And I crawled over to the snowbank, my ankle throbbing. My watch said four o'clock, and I sat trying to figure out how to hobble back over to the bench. Eventually, it was five o'clock. The sky was darkening, and I saw my brother head home with his friends. He threw me a disgusted look, not even coming over to see if I was okay. And so I sit, benched on the ice. It no longer matters who is naughty or nice. It's now 6.30, and I'll just keep waiting. I'd be home with my family if I'd never gone skating. My ankle feels like a rubber ball stuffed in a sausage casing, and I begin to get a little worried that my folks have forgotten. My watch says 7 o'clock, and I know the Blackhawks game is on TV tonight in my household, not knowing something like that is unforgivable. Maybe everyone got caught up in that, and I bite on my mitten to calm my fears. At 7.30, a man approaches. I hope he isn't going to kidnap me, because my folks are broke. <laughs> they were. Hey, kid, you okay? He yells, not approaching too closely. I'm just waiting, I yell back. Waiting for what? To be rescued by my dad. And at that moment, I realized that is exactly why I'm still sitting here. I want my father to come to this park and take me home, to choose to have me come home. Just let him come, I whisper, pressing tightly on that Cinderella watch. Please let him come. I had used both reason and logic as I got a little older. I fit in as best I could and got a little bolder. Maybe I pushed a little too much, just got a little too plucky, and now I am to be left here. Guess you could say unlucky. My watch now says 8 o'clock. Why didn't I just say no to my father? Thanks, but no thanks. You know, I think I'll pass on the ice rink if you don't mind. But he did mind, so I had obeyed. And now I'm panicky because I wonder how I'm going to get my homework done. Sister Mary Martin's going to kill me tomorrow because I'm supposed to be the expert on the Louisiana purchasing class. <laughs> I bite my mitten again, and then I admit it. I take it off and begin sucking my thumb. I know I'm not supposed to suck it in public. But no one is around, and it calms my fears about having to face sister the next morning, if I make it through the night on this snowbank, that is. 
My folks have to come, don't they? Legally? <laughs> At 8.30, I see a mirage. It's my father. Your brother just got home. Said he last saw you sitting on a snowbank. Something about you almost destroying his hockey puck. He smiles at that thought. Your mother thought you went to great books. Great books? Tonight? I had forgotten. My mind is racing. They didn't leave me just here to die. My brother just got home, and they thought I was somewhere safe and happy discussing great ideas. Oh, I wasn't worried, I say to my father. I knew you would come, eventually. Did he know I was lying? I wasn't at all sure he would come. We both knew, however, that I would have sat there all night if necessary. Are you hurt, he asked with concern, and I want to scream, you bet I'm hurt for all the times you made me feel unwanted. Instead, I look down at my ankle and say, well, my ankle hurts. Can you walk, he asks. And as I struggle to my feet, not wanting to keep him waiting, he awkwardly reaches out. Would you like me to carry you? That would be great, I blurt out. And our eyes meet and I smile. But maybe it's my enthusiasm that causes my father to pull back because that moment, so fleeting between us, passes. I mean, he says gruffly, maybe you'd rather walk or lean on me. No, I insist, carry me. And he does. He scoops me up like I weigh nothing at all and carries me to the car. Just like a princess, I think. Ain't that a great moment? But hey, life is real. It sure ain't no fairy tale. It's more of a deal that my dad and I struck on our trek homeward bound. A place in the middle is what we had found to just play the cards that we had been dealt. And I've spun you a tale to make your hearts melt. But wait just a second, as from your drink you do sip. Please give thought to those ice rinks upon which you may slip. Will you sit on a snowbank and wait out your pain or toughen it out? to keep yourself sane. Normally, this is where I would credit the artists who helped put this story together. Unfortunately, this story was produced over a decade ago, and despite our best efforts, we were not able to locate that information. Thank you for your understanding. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meager, and Floam, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, CoBank, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this... This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.